Coming up, technological advances, first principles thinking, and a secret intangible benefit that every service member has when they leave the military, which I had never thought about. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. What's up, military millionaires? If you are new here, we help service members and veterans achieve financial freedom through all of our free content, as well as our paid mastermind group, which is full of studs and studettes that are crushing financial goals. Now, today's episode is with Matt Jertson, the founder of Better Everyday Studios, a talent development team that helps organizations, a talent development team that helps organizations with everything from training needs analysis to learning content creation. He began his career as an Air Force instructor pilot and then became the manager of training and development for SpaceX. After SpaceX, Matt joined a global technology startup and then founded Better Everyday Studios to help leaders improve performance and build organizations that people love to be a part of. This is a good episode. I had a lot of fun talking to Matt, so hang tight. What's up, Matt? Welcome to the show today, brother. Thank you so much, David. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this will be a good time. So uh, as I mentioned right before we start recording, I like to jump into uh, a further place in life than starting with where you were born. And then we go back and tell backstory. But yeah. uh, I'm just curious. So you've worked with SpaceX and and therefore, I guess, Elon Musk, I don't know if directly or indirectly, but uh, <laughs> I'm just curious how the work environment is. In my head, there's probably some ridiculously high standards to work there. And I'm curious if that's the case. Uh, I definitely think that's the case. It's an interesting place to work because the work environment depends a lot on kind of what team you're on, what their cadence of work is. Are you the, are you part of the, the blockers for any particular project, you know? Um, cause it is very much of, you know, Elon sets extremely ambitious goals. And so it's really focused on delivering kind of every, you know, it's, I think, I think his mentality is that if we, just always set goals that are we are almost unachievable then that's how we continue that's how we know we're pushing absolutely as hard as we can mm. i think in a recent interview he said that uh, at spacex they specialize in making the impossible late you know <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> so it went from impossible he delivers it late but everyone said it was impossible so you know hey that's still that's still I, winning so definitely I like that definitely yeah, yeah. So definitely a high high pressure environment for sure. He he also in a recent interview was quoted saying, "Go fuck yourself," which is probably <laughs> yes. the funniest soundbite I've seen going around in yes. a while. Yes. He does he's not <laughs> one to mince words. That is no, for sure. I I have uh on multiple podcasts when people are like, "If you could have a beer with any," I'm like, "Yeah, that guy." Yeah, like I yeah. don't know that there's anyone who's changed that many industries while not caring about what anybody says or thinks about him. And I love yep. it. <laughs> like yep, my favorite I think that's my favorite Elon story is when he when he totaled his uh his McLaren F1 and was like, oh, whoops, wasn't insured and like called the tag. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> um, all right, so I digress. So bring us up to speed. What's uh you know where'd you get into all of all of this and and where where are we at now? Yeah, I mean everything. My whole life story really starts with the fact that I'm a space nut. 
I'm, I'm really into space exploration, always wanted to be an astronaut. So that's what took me into the military. I remember yeah. very clearly the day I was like, uh, I was like 12 or 13 years old, telling my dad, I'm going to fly the space shuttle. Um, and so that got me interested in, you know, I got interested in flying generally. So I'm going to go to the Air Force Academy. So that's what took me to the Academy, took me into the Air Force, became a pilot. Um, so I spent about nine years as an instructor pilot in the Air Force, flying the KC-10, flying all over the Pacific, all over Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, time came up where I could get out. And uh, that was in 2014. And that point in time, you know, SpaceX was definitely on the rise and the ascendancy since I'm excited about space. I really want to work at SpaceX. I mean, really working at SpaceX was one of the biggest drivers of me wanting to leave the military so that mm -hmm. I could work there. I had zero idea how I was going to get in, didn't, didn't know anybody there, but started networking, finding connections and managed to connect with somebody who is the, the launch site director at Vandenberg. And lo and behold, he said, Hey, do you need, you know, we need help with training. Have you ever done training before? And I was like, well, Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an instructor pilot. I I'm sure I can figure that out. And, you know, you know, to, you know, one thing I, I will say, anybody who spends any time in the military, never discount the experience that you have had in training. You know, like most people in corporate America do not know what training is. Like mm. when they hear the word training, they think it's a PowerPoint presentation or a lecture. And the, I always say the, the military is the military because of training. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that, that I think gave me a really interesting lens to think about training as I moved into the corporate space. So I was, uh, I did training at their launch site for about a year, then came down to LA to lead the training development team at SpaceX for a number of years, had a bla absolute blast there. And then the time came where I eventually left for a different startup. And then, um, about a year and a half ago, decided to go fully out on my own and start my own company. So I now run a training and development company called Better Every Day Studios that I think it really focuses on that, or it stems from that military experience of thinking about training from a very practical perspective, thinking about it from a behavioral perspective instead of a knowledge perspective that mm. I think is where corporate training at least traditionally comes from. Yeah, I love it. And uh, did you ever do any uh, combat landings in Afghanistan. Did you ever have to play that? No, game? the, uh, for better or worse, the KC 10 was, uh, um, we, we never touched down in Afghanistan cause it oh. was like, there's only like 60 of them in the entire air force. So <laughs> they wouldn't, they wouldn't let those things close. We would, we were flying out of UAE. So fair enough. All right. Yeah. I, I just, I will never forget. And anytime I talk to an air force pilot that was in there, that area, I'm like, man, I was in the back of a C one thirty. And they did not warn us. And that was the scariest, oh. like 30, 45 seconds of my life, as I thought that we I were just going to die. Uh, for anyone listening who doesn't have any idea, um, and I'm sure that I'm going to mess up all the stats on this, but essentially they go from cruising altitude to like a thousand feet as fast as humanly possible by just yep. dropping the nose of a plane. And you basically feel like that moment when you crest the hill on a roller coaster for like 30 or 40 seconds while you're holding onto your bag and strapped in amongst like 10 other people. And they don't warn you, so you have no idea what the hell's going on and you think you're going to die. And then all of a sudden they level out and touch down. And like, it's like, as soon as they pull the throttle back, the wheels are on the ground. And you're like, yeah. Oh, and, and we're and alive. In a, 
<laughs> yeah, and in a, in a C one hundred and thirty, you're going to get the most extreme version of that, I'm sure. You know, I know the the KC ten or the this, the C seventeen does it as well, um, but you're not going to be going into probably the kinds of places you're going to be going in a C one hundred and thirty. It's good times, and the best part is, you know, I was a lance <laughs> corporal, so I'm like, there's like what fifteen, ten or fifteen seats across, and I'm like dead center of the aircraft, so I'm like, I'm totally gonna die. yeah i'm fucked <laughs> yeah yeah the in in the kc-10 our our stressful moments were different because uh with the kc-10 since it it's mainly a refueling aircraft mm. but it can be refueled as well yeah. and so we would um so you know we're taking a five hundred thousand pound aircraft and going up and touching another five hundred thousand pound aircraft while we're you know going 250 miles an hour <laughs> That no was, big deal. that was exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no big deal at all. I can't, yeah, that would be, I can't imagine trying to fly with that much fuel. Like if it starts sloshing or, I mean, there's probably all kinds of weird things that you wouldn't think about with that. I mean, there's so much inertia, you know, you can't, you don't get any of that instant reaction, you know, for anybody that's, you know, driven, uh, you know, driven a semi truck or even probably a pickup truck with a really big load. It's, it's yeah. a very similar thing, you know, where it's like you take your foot off the gas and, it kind of keeps going for a little while and you know so it's it's being a few seconds ahead of everything that you want to do yeah uh that's a good analogy i was a i was a motor t guy in the marine corps and and uh my one of my units we were a refueling unit so i'm like i'm imagining the you know the five thousand gallon tankers that we drove around and i'm like man that's uh those things if you i mean if you got them below a certain point you weren't like at certain at certain levels of fuel you weren't supposed to take them on the road because if you took a turn too hard it would just yeah, that was it. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. So, all right. Um, okay. So one of the things that you had mentioned when we were, uh, when I was looking through your podcast, uh, answers was that you're really excited about technology at the moment and some of the technological, uh, advances and changes and improvements and opportunities. And I'm curious, you know, what is it like, what kind of advances are you most looking, you know, looking towards or, or keeping your eyes open for? So I probably was answering that right after I had gotten my Quest 3 headset. So this is the new uh, VR headset from from Meta. And I, I highly recommend people give it a try because this is this headset. The, the neat thing about it is that it is um, it's not just virtual reality like previous headsets have been. It's mixed reality, which is what Apple's upcoming headset is going to be as well. So you are it has cameras on it where when you're looking through the goggles, you can see the environment that you are in, you know, so you're looking through those cameras and you can see your room. And so the first game I played, I put it on and I'm just standing in my office. And then all of a sudden this like debris starts falling from the ceiling and then a hole opens up and a spaceship lands through my ceiling, right? Like it, it shows a hole opening up in my ceiling oh, wow. that this spacecraft, and then it lands on the table in front of me because it knows where all these objects are. And so, It'll, it's, it was just a really neat interaction and really, really immersive experience. They have another game on there that's like a zombie game where it puts a window on your wall and then zombies are like trying to crawl through the window into your house. Um, and so nightmares are made of. Exactly, exactly. And so the, the thing I'm most excited about from a technology perspective and a training perspective, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time doing vr ish stuff you know or simulator work as, as a as a pilot and i think it's going to be the, the big game changing thing is going to be the combination of mixed reality and generative ai because right now 
so many, you know, so many VR or mixed reality experiences, they just take a long time to create. And so you can only do so much with them. And then even once you're in them, it's still an artificial environment where, at, where if I can have an AI that's creating these mixed reality experiences on the fly for you, as you're doing stuff, it's going to be, and then able to create it in such a way that it makes sense for what's happening. Uh, I, I think it's going to be the majority of all training in the future is going to be something like that, where we're probably not that far away from, we aren't that far away from something like a Quest 3 headset being small enough that it's basically um, ski goggles, right? They're basically ski goggles. And then if you integrate this AI component to it, there are going to be so many use cases for something like that, where you're onboarding somebody into a factory or a manufacturing floor, and you just give them a headset on day one, and they put that on, and a voice is suddenly in their ear, talking them through the layout of the factory and where everything is. And then they ask a question about that part and it just pops up a little display giving everything of, oh, this is what this machine does and this is who can use it. It's going to be like having an expert coach, a coach that's an expert on everything in your ear at all times. And you're able to point at things and they're able to throw up displays. Uh, I just, I can't even imagine all the use cases that that's going to have from a training perspective and an improvement in life perspective. So that that's the technology piece that I'm just crazy excited about. Yeah, that's, I, I didn't even, I'd never even thought about like the, the reality, you know, the, the, or whatever mixed reality that you called it. That's super cool. Uh, and I would imagine, man, it, I would imagine that simulators have gotten pretty cool over the last decade and, and that they're only going to be even more wild because I mean, those things were already fairly realistic, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, I'm sure even that's going to be just off the bat, off the wall, crazy, but yeah, day to day. I mean, and, and from a technology's perspective, it's one thing, but from a, like a uniform training, like instead of having to have a train, the trainer and teach someone how to do everything, you could just be like, here, Here's the program. Here you like, go. I can sell you yeah. this program and you can teach your guys how to do this without me being there. And you think, and that mixed reality piece is going to be so great because it's going to allow people to interact in the environment so much more seamlessly. You know, it's going to be really, really, you know, you, you think of any, um, any, you know, combat situation or practice that you've ever done, just the ability to in real time have, you know, like act re human looking adversaries that you're fighting against that are that they know the environment that you're in as well and able to react to you at, based on the environment that you're in um it's just going to take it to a whole new level and unlike the re realistic point of view everybody if you haven't yet you should go check out the lex friedman podcast and um uh, Zach, uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg was on the Lex Friedman podcast recently, and they did the whole podcast in VR and using, using something called, I forget exactly what it was called. It was, uh, something called a code. I think it was called a codec avatar where it was near photorealistic representation of each of them as they were talking. And um, you can look it up on YouTube. It, it'll, it'll blow your mind because it was just so realistic of how it was able to 
create their their facial features and their expressions as they as they were talking. And the really interesting thing about it that uh, Mark brought up was that the nature of the technology is that it is actually lower bandwidth and lower processor intensive than what people have done before. And so it's actually going to make it even easier. It's going to make the ultra, re ultra realism even easier um, than what we currently try to do. Wow. And yeah, I'll go check that out. I like Lex Friedman. Um, yeah. I guess I've not been up to date on the AI slash virtual reality side of <laughs> it's changing you know, very quickly. <laughs> I was gonna say in my head, like two, three years ago, when I first used a VR headset, it was like, well, this is cool when I'm not accidentally running into shit. Um, yes. And, you know, super cool, but also expensive. And it's just a video yes. game. And now it's like, yes. it's a whole lot more. Um, yeah. And AI, I, and, yeah. And I don't, and I don't think Quest Three is going to change the world, but I think Quest Four might, because Quest Three is thirty percent thinner than Quest Two, um, and so if they keep on that trend, and then the other thing about this isn't a sales pitch for Quest by any means, but I mean uh, Apple Pro will Apple Vision Pro will probably be a better product, but it's thirty five hundred dollars, mm. whereas the Quest Three is five hundred dollars, so it's just um, that access is going to be huge, I think. Well, that sounds about like Apple. Like, let's yeah. make the same product and charge more because it's got an Apple on it. And then exactly. we're going to somehow convince everyone it's better because they paid. Yeah. Me. Definitely yeah. not a status thing. <laughs> you can't tell I'm an Android guy. Um, oh, they're perfect. I am too. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, why would yeah. I pay? I was like, I've got a phone that's almost four years old that is equivalent to the iPhone 15 and cost less. Why yes. would why would I buy the iPhone? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, green bubbles. Well, that's that's because iPhone doesn't want you talking to me. It's not because my phone's better. That worse. that that alone just like it so annoys me. The fact that, yeah, that that lack of interoperability. It, yeah. It it pushes me away from the ecosystem. I agree. Yeah, I'll never use that. Well, and I had a terrible customer service experience once. So that was enough. Like someone. Yeah. Long story short, someone basically created a fake iTunes account and spent money, and then um, it came out of my card. I'm like, Apple wouldn't talk to me without creating an account. I'm like, I don't have an account. Please give me this money back. They're like, you have to create an yeah. account to talk to us. It took me like seven hours to get my money back. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to use any of these products ever. Um, don't yeah. care. So <laughs> I'm on all PC. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, so what do you mean when you say your superpower is seeing uh, like a problem via first principles? Yeah, so this really came out of my time at, at SpaceX. Um, it might have been a, a latent thing that I had, a latent power that I had for a long time, but first principles design is Elon, is SpaceX. Like that's how he focuses on everything. And like, you know, the simplest way, one of the one simple way to think about it, it that is kind of his the reason why he started SpaceX is when, you know, he was went out there, you know, the first thing that he wanted to do was he just wanted to send a greenhouse to Mars. And so he went to try to buy a rocket to do it. And he was getting all these astronomical prices from everybody and he couldn't figure it out. And so first principles thinking is how much metal goes into a rocket and how much does that cost? You know, to go the raw metal, how much does that cost? And then how much, you know, you add up all the components of the physical stuff that's in the product, add all that up. And sure, you, you got to do stuff in order to build the thing. But you should, there should be some correlation there, like that you should be able to connect the dots somewhat. And so uh, he, that's what he does with, you know, uh, Tesla as well. That's kind of, and so 
for me in my world, I think it's always trying to come back to what's the problem we're really trying to solve and making sure that it's really a problem. Because I think in the, in business, in life, we make a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems that are created just because we called them problems mm. or they're problems that were created by some other process, but that process doesn't actually need to exist. And so how do you always think about what are my constraints? Like what are, what are the things that I really need to focus on? What can I get rid of? And how do I make sure that I'm every problem I'm solving, I'm solving it in the simplest form possible, if that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've heard Elon talk about it and obviously he's a, a, a big proponent of it. Um, and I was going to ask you if it was something you'd always done or, or had to learn to do. And if, if learned how one would go about that, but it sounds like you kind of, you kind of feel like it's something that you had lying dormant until it was explained to you. Is that. It, it, it might, it was probably dormant. Like I've always, you know, I was, uh, I was a physics major in college. Mm -hmm. And so physics is, is very like a first principles kind of thing, yeah. but it really was when I was at SpaceX for a good portion of the time there, um, when I was reporting to the head of HR, he had been at SpaceX for a really long time. I, f I forget what number, but he was like employee 35 or something at SpaceX. So he had been at SpaceX for a really long time, worked with Elon for a really long time. So he had absorbed a lot of this from Elon. And whenever I would be bringing him problems or bringing him solutions, I think it was him constantly pushing me of like, well, do, are you, are you sure? It's just like questioning all these assumptions. There's all these assumptions that we come into of, well, this is how we've done things, or this is how the industry does it. This is the way things are. And it's that willingness to just be the dumbest person in the room and ask like, but why? I don't, I don't get it. It's like in, um, if you remember the movie, the Tom Hanks movie, Big, where he's like a little kid that turns into an adult and he's like working at a toy store. And there's this scene where he's, all these executives are like pitching some new toy that everybody's gonna play with. It's gonna be the hot new toy for next year. And he's just, he just sits there and he just goes, I don't get it. I, and he just keeps saying, I, I, don't, I don't get it. He just didn't get why they were doing this thing. And I think we all need to be willing to do that of just like, this doesn't make sense. And so it was that constant pushing that eventually led me to start doing that pushing myself. And so, you know, right now my company, we're in the process of building hiring and interview training. And so it's really think, you know, pulling it back of like, okay, like, well, what are the root core skills of a good interview? What are the thing, what are the behaviors that someone has to have to be good at interviewing or to be a good hiring manager and starting from that foundation and building up rather than just saying, well, these are all the things you need to know in order to be a good interviewer. And then um, it just winds up not hitting the mark. Yeah, it's, it's probably not my personality type because boy, do I struggle with that. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a very, very, very high eye on the disc profile. And I'm like, I trust everybody. I love everybody. I see the yeah. best in everybody. And I actually, I have a really good friend when I hire someone, I always on the second or third interview, I bring him in. I'm like, oh, this is my buddy, my partner, Hugh, you know, and, and he comes in and he hangs out and he's going to help me out here. And basically I've told Hugh, like, you're my bullshit meter. Like you will <laughs> see things that I will not because I'm, you know, I, I will, I'm good at narrowing it down and knowing kind of what I want. But once I get to like the last interview, I'm like, I can't be the only one making this decision. And, and so as yeah. soon as I can, I'm going to outsource that to, you know, my, my executive assistant or, or someone else on the team, but we're not big enough for that yet. 
And so, yeah, uh, he's going to lunch with me and this potential hire on Friday. Cause I, and sh- perfect potential hire doesn't know she's, co- he's coming, but whatever. Um, like, Oh yeah, well, this guy. But I, but honestly, I think that's, that's a good, that's an example of looking at interviewing from first principles and figuring out a better, a good, the right way to structure interviews, because unlike, you know, building a rocket where it's all physics based people skills, something like interviewing is also going to be person, you know, personality based and psychology, psychology based. And so just based on our biology, the way our brains are built and the way we think there's always going to be blind spots. You're always going to have unconscious biases running around in your brain because that's the way your brain is designed to make decisions is based on these unconscious biases. That's how you're able to survive in a rapidly changing world is by making snap judgments. And so a first principles way to design interviewing would include getting more people involved in the interview. I like it. Well, Look at that. I'm practicing something. There you go. I, no, I, I, it is a very intriguing principle. And, and I think it's, it, it kind of just boils down in a lot of ways to like the, the root of a lot of entrepreneurs, which is something's not right here. How do I fix it? How do I make it better? How do I, you know, whatever. And most people yeah. probably don't even, you don't call it first principle, but there's a lot of similarities there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think in that process of, you know, like deciding what, problems to go after when you're starting a business. Um, there is a lot of that first principles thinking. I, I think it can, it can, it can tie into a business in a lot of ways. It can tie into a business at the very beginning where you're having that ideation of like, what's the problem that I'm trying to solve and, and making sure you're, you're solving a truly fundamental problem and not something that's going to like go away in six months. You know, that happened a lot with the AI craze where there were lots of people who created companies that within six months became obsolete because the technology just incrementally improved. And then all of a sudden they didn't even need to be there anymore. But then as a company's growing, I think first principles thinking is incredibly important. Um, One of the things I like to say, or I've noticed in the companies that I've worked for and with is that people who most despise bureaucracy and red tape are the ones that are most likely to succumb to it because they treat it as just this as like something that they can ignore. They intentionally try to ignore it. But bureaucracy is, it's its like a natural law of the universe almost. It's just like, it's just something that grows and, and, and you just, you start creating processes kind of naturally as any organization grows so that more and more people can work together. And if you don't realize that and focus on it and focus on it from a first principles perspective, that's when the processes just get out of control. And you just have layers of bureaucracy and you got like, you know, TPS reports and all these things that people have to do to take leave. And it's about asking at least periodically, does any of this make sense? If, if we got rid of two of these layers, would it get rid of the whole reason for all of these layers? You know, like if we just changed the way we were thinking about this a little bit, um, could it simplify things a whole lot? Hmm. I like that. Yeah. It's a, a lot of, man, it's interesting take on the bureaucracy piece and like people just come into it. I'm sure they don't want to hear it, that, but yeah, well, and it's easy. It's, it's, it's just tough. It, it, like every, I think it depends on when you hit growth and how that growth looks, but certainly, um, 
certainly when you when you go through a really big growth phase, if you if you hire a dozen people or something like that, um, it's just natural that you're going to start to create a lot of a, a lot of processes, and those processes start to stack on one another, and then before you know it the person who created the process isn't in your organization anymore and you've forgotten the reason the process exists. Um, there, there's a lot of good <laughs> Elon stories about, about that kind of thing <laughs> that are <laughs> widely available on the internet. That's funny. Love it. All right. Uh, talk to me about improving business performance by improving behavior. This, this took a little while for me to get to, I think, you know, a lot of people would ask me what my, you know, what's the differentiating factor with Better Video Studios or what's my opinion on like my take on learning. And really it's centered into behavior based learning. Um, I think when people hear training or learning, learning development, whatever the phrase is in an organization, most people default back to the most common denominator, which is school, right? Yeah. Whether that's high school, college, whatever it is, you, you think you hear training, you think school. And so you think lecture, you think knowledge, you think about this information transfer. If I need to get information that's in my brain into your brain. Um, but there's a great Tony Robbins quote that I always remember that's, you know, knowledge isn't power, knowledge is potential power. It's only, actually powerful when you learn how to apply it and put it into practice. And so if you, when you think about training from a business perspective or changing your organization from a business perspective, get rid of all the thoughts, thoughts about what knowledge is required and only focus on what behaviors do I need someone to do in order to be successful. This is actually something that Alex Hermosi talks about a lot. You know, he's been blowing up in the business space the last, you know, six to 12 months. And I've, I just love his content because he's, he's so has that behavioral approach of, you know, go to your best salesperson, go to your best lead out on the manufacturing floor, whatever it is, find the best person. And ultimately what you're trying to do is deconstruct what are the things they are doing every day and how do we get other people to do those things? It doesn't always involve training, but I think ultimately it comes back to getting, getting back to the behaviors and even something as, you know, wishy-washy as, as culture, you know, people talk about culture, all culture is, is a collection of behaviors. It's a collection of the things people do every day and how they act every day. And, um, so having that behavior focus, when you think about what your compensation structure is, what tools you're going to have in your organization, what training you're going to do, um, to me, it's the guiding, the guiding light. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Hormozy's, uh, he's, he's great for sure. Um, <laughs> culture. I, I try to, I, I try to view culture as like how do I weed out people who are going to be offended by the way that I act from a day-to-day -day basis? <laughs> like I've got a, I've got a video I filmed once for hiring where it's like, I'm like drinking scotch, smoking a cigar. There's like a handgun in the background. And I'm like, if you come work yep. for us and I'm like, yeah. now I, you know, like 90% of people won't apply and that's great. I don't. Yes. And that's perfect. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's, that's exact. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, ultimately over the long term, what your culture is going to be for any organization is, why do you hire, fire, and promote? Eventually that will be your culture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I think that's a great example of in building that into the hiring process is, is you know who you are, you know, the kind of tone you're, the way, you know, you want to set 
for your organization. And so um, it's really important to lean into that as much as possible. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about the behavior and like deconstructing what makes a good salesman. It's funny. Uh, I've got a, a buddy who works at uh, the Marine Corps Recruiting Command, and I was a recruiter for like three years. And I was like, you know, you know how to solve like Marine Corps recruiting, right? Now, granted, we are the only ones who made mission in the last two years. So it is what it is. Maybe it is solved. But uh, I was like, you know how to make it just make every recruiter an absolute rock star? It's like, no. I was like, just go take your staff NCYC of the year and your recruiter of the year from every station and make them do a personality test, whatever personality test that is. I guarantee they're all going to ping the same thing. And then that's who you drag out on recruiting duty. Because right now you get this conglomerate of like, or, or, or maybe you do a personality test on like the picture perfect Marine that you want to recruit. And then that's who you have as a recruiter because they're recruiting their own personalities. But like, I remember I was a recruiter, you know, I'm, I was pretty good on recruiting duty. I'm a pretty personable guy. I, I like interacting, networking, whatever. And I had two recruiters on my team that it was like, when they walked into the room, the lights dimmed. It was like, I called them mm. Eeyore and it was like, dude, they, it was always a struggle for them. And, and they were like, I don't get why this comes so naturally to you. And I'm like, cause I like talking to people <laughs> and you don't like, that's yeah. pretty much how it boils down. And, uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that one day they like take that and run with it and test it out. Cause it's like, they, they have the power to basically force people into that role. And instead of using it to force people that have the personality trait of a good salesman, they just pick anyone who is a decent Marine. And it's like, well, a decent Marine doesn't necessarily translate to good at talking to high school kids. <laughs> so Yeah. 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 And I would, the one thing I would, I would highlight about that too, or, or take that a little bit farther of, I think it does highlight the behavioral component because I, I do think it's important to leave room for people to act outside their personality. It yeah. might be harder for them, you know, but I remember, uh, you know, s s some of the, some of the most prominent leaders in the world um, are actually quite introverted. I remember hearing a story of a buddy of mine who he was the uh, he was the exec for the chief of staff of the Air Force, and this particular chief of staff was really known for like just high energy, always out meeting with people, shaking hands, saying hi, always had time for the airmen. And then my buddy said every time he finished an event, got in the car, he just passed out. Cause it took, you know, I mean, you know, and that's ultimately the, the, one of the fundamental differences between extroverts and introverts is an extrovert is going to get energized by that, you know, and like, they're going to finish and it's going to take them a few hours to like come down off the high. Cause they're just buzzing from, from being there. But this individual was, was very introverted, but they knew the behaviors that they needed to exhibit to be effective at the role. They knew that they needed to be out there meeting people, bring that energy. Um, and to your point, I think it's just a matter of identifying those behaviors and holding people accountable to those behaviors, kind of regardless of what their personality is. And so that means that some people, it's gonna be easier to exhibit those behaviors. Other people, it's going to be a longer stretch, uh, or it's going to be harder for them to, um, and then ultimately it just works out of who stays in the role, who leaves the role, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I like it. So, talk to me a little bit about what you guys do with uh, Better Your Day Studios and how you're uh, 
how you like what the what the long term vision is there. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, my long term vision is to change the way the corporate world views talent development. Because like I said, in, in in the military, training is everything. Like it's like we so clearly, you know, and I think it's, it comes from the, you know, the basic fact that if you're a commander in the military, you have zero say in the talent that you get, right? People just show up. Yeah. <laughs> and so you are forced to rely on training to make it so that your unit can be successful regardless of the talent you get. In the corporate world, it's often viewed as the exact reverse, where yeah. we put all of the emphasis on the recruiting piece, on making sure we have the right people in the organization. And then very often we forget about talent development at that point. It's kind of like, you know, swimming with sharks. You just see, you just see who survives. And I think that misses a lot. One, it means it, it keeps organizations beholden on what other people are doing, right? You're, you're relying on other people, other organizations to train your people before mm -hmm. they get there, which is all, you know, which is always going to be a mistake. It means you're going to pay more for your talent, right? It means your talent, that the people in your organization are going to be less beholden to you. They're going to be less, they're going to, um, you know, value you, you as an organization less. And so over, you know, long-term, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're doing that by really focusing on the behaviors inside of organizations and, and, and fixing the problems of organizations with this behavioral lens. I think at least within learning and development, because so many organizations don't, um, because so many organizations don't focus on learning and development, there's always the question among learning professionals, how do we get the business to care about learning? And I always flip that and say, well, how do we get learning to care about the business? How do we how do we focus on the business problems? And so currently we're focusing on a few major elements. I already mentioned hiring and interview training, you know, helping provide solutions to make the hiring process faster, more effective, you know, decrease new or uh, increase new hire retention and increase the speed to productivity. That's a big focus of ours. Um, later on this year, we're going to be focused on manager training. And then a big part of what we do is, is just skill development, where an organization will bring us in and say, hey, there's this particular challenge we're having and we need training to help fix it. And so we make custom content for them. So very big picture goals of completely transforming the way people view talent development, but uh, approaching it from a very tactical perspective of just making better training, making training that is more impactful and actually solves business problems. Yeah, it, I had never really thought about it. You know, I'd never worked corporate, but it makes perfect sense that if you're recruiting talent and not, I mean, that's eye opening to me because, you know, all I know is my own personal life now after, outside of the military and then 13 years of active duty where you're right, training was very regimented. I mean, TLOs, ELOs, you know, <laughs> we're going to do practical application, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do, you know, drive with an instructor or, or whatever, and then you'll finally be allowed to do it on your own and very structured. And I had never really thought about the fact that that may very well not be the way that it is. And it's interesting when you think like, billion dollar corporations that are just throwing money out the door on yeah. recruiting and then <laughs> leaving them hang. like yeah awesome <laughs> yeah exactly and you know not or every organization is like that there's certainly organizations that that devote a lot to to training development um 
but there's a lot of organizations that that don't i think that really focus on bringing in the right talent and i just think it's it's two sides of the same coin you want to bring in the right talent but then you also want to develop that talent and give them the skills that they need to be successful not to totally sidetrack here but you know i read uh, have you read no rules rules at all yes um block yeah yeah uh netflix's culture just like that's that kind of speaks to me where it's like man that's my style and it's funny because i always thought like you know me having no no pto and just being like yeah take time off if you need it and and, and whatever was like me just being too nice and, and too loosey-goosey but that book does a really good job of essentially breaking down how their culture is set up where you know they they pay well they train and they big boy rules and it's very interesting to yep. me compared to most corporate setups yeah, I think that's right. And I, I said the wrong author there. Yeah, because you're right. Oh, the, the Netflix book. And, and I think that's a, I think that's a perfect example. That book and their philosophy, I think, is a really great example of having that first principles approach to bureaucracy and yeah. to processes, you know, because, yeah, I think the the most commonly cited example from that book is, is the idea of what you, what you mentioned, leave is like as soon as you have an amount of leave that somebody can create, well, now you need to track that leave. And you need an approval process for that leave and you need, you know, a policy for what happens if you run out of leave and then something, you know, so that one decision caused a whole chain of things. Now, this isn't to say I, I believe in unlimited leave because I, I, it has other implications, yeah. but that's a perfect example of one decision that suddenly creates this giant mess of rules and processes and you could choose to just change that decision and then all that goes away. Yeah. Yeah. They've had some, uh, some very interesting success. And, and I mean, that exact study, they're talking about how uh, it appears that people take the same, if not less leave, which I guess makes sense. Cause in the military, there was always this like scramble towards the end of the year. Like, Oh man, I've got 20 days left. I got to take it or you don't lose it, but well, sometimes you do. Like there were, there sometimes were years where yeah. once, once the wars ended and slowed down, it was like, Oh wait, I'm capped at this many days of leave. And if I hit October 1st with this, I'm going to lose 15 days. Like, well, I have to take vacation. I even yeah. had a buddy who took leave and came into work half the time. Cause he was just like, I don't have anything to do. I'm, I'm, and I'm like, dude, you're only get, get out of the office. And he's like, oh. wow, that's crazy. Um, and yeah. so in that regard, it's like that person wouldn't have taken leave. He would have just had 15 less days and it wouldn't have mattered. And there wouldn't have been a pressure to take it. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting policy for sure. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, Matt, what's uh, what have we missed? You, we we've hit on a lot of stuff. I love that we dove into that kind of like first principles approach because it's approach. something that yeah, not not a lot of people talk about, but I think it's it's so fundamental. I think ultimately, you know, you know, especially for your audience, I think I would really just footstomp something that I know I've, I've mentioned a few times, but like. The experiences that you have in the military are so different than the experiences that most people have. And there's a lot of things that pay off in unexpected ways. And, and training really is one of those ways. Be, you know, almost anybody in the military that's in the military for more than a couple of years has done, has not obviously been involved in training, but been a trainer, right? It's just like a natural part of the progression in the military. And that teaches you things that a lot of people outside don't have and it's gonna and so there's i think one take advantage of it but then two realize it and realize that there's some things that you might take 
for granted that other people don't don't take for granted or don't know don't you know they don't have access to and so using that differentiated factor of the fact that you have seen what good training looks like and you have trained other people um, is definitely something to to take advantage of whether you're in an organization or you're growing your own business you know as you're growing a business it's about um, putting that training to use that ability to train to use as you're hiring new people bringing on new processes um, it's really a big power that I think military members have that I don't often hear highlighted. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I had never even thought about it that way. You know, I mean, 13 years right. of <laughs> serving and I was in several jobs where, I mean, shoot, I was the, uh, I was the licensing staff in CIC in Hawaii for third uh, Marine regiment. So I was in charge of, Anyone and everyone who got a Humvee, seven ton license, anything to drive a tactical vehicle on the road came through, you know, so I would, I would say know a thing or two, a little bit about training, not as much as you would think, because I was a staff in CIC and I had some good NCOs. So it was like, call me if you, you need go. me, you know, if you got, yeah. if you got problems, you know, I kind of ran the high pick, high level stuff, um, the development, the program and, and whatever checks and balances, but it is interesting. I'd never even crossed my brain that that's again, that that's not normal, right? Like that's the military is so structured. So, you know, you're in a leadership role, then you're learning something new, then you're teaching that, then you're learning something new, then you're teaching that. And, uh, I mean, that's just one more intangible skill that is very, very beneficial outside of the military. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love it. Where can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing? So uh, I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. So anybody on LinkedIn can look me up. Matthew Jertson is, is the handle. Um, so I'm very active there. And then BetterReducedStudios.com is our is our website. Uh, we're always you know looking. I, I think I, I love working with especially growing companies. But even if it's not something to, to you know official product or, or project to work on, especially for for smaller companies, I love just talking about this stuff. I love thinking about helping a founder think about, you know, what is, how do I set a good foundation early on of, of where knowledge is and how to train people, how to set a good foundation. Love talking about that stuff. So please connect with me on LinkedIn, reach out on, um, through the website or just my, my emails, Matt at betterverdaystudios.com. So love to, love to connect with folks. I love it. Well, thank you very much for being a guest today. This has been a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to talk a little bit. I learned some stuff about first principles and, and, uh, you know, training methodologies. And I, I think that's going to help me out a little bit myself as I build out my team. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David, for having me. Absolutely.